bless them and wherever they go may they be uh, a blessing encouragement to those that receive them always remember this you're not just giving a gift but inside those boxes from Samaritan's Purse will be the gospel and the language of the people who receive them they're going to be taught the gospel of Jesus Christ what you just heard sung about they're going to hear about that same cross that same Savior and his precious blood so y'all come when you're ready Mr. Cole they're bringing them in. Kelsey's driving. Y'all watch out. Get out of the ditches, off the sidewalks, folks. Kelsey's driving. All right. We got them coming here. All right. some good news too I'll share with you Miss Carla told me they've been collecting things through the year and they had to order some more boxes because we have enough stuff downstairs this was collected to fill 25 more than we have here on top of those of you like me that are going to bring yours in this week <laughs> I'm with y'all okay I've been a little distracted but anyhow I'll uh, be with you on bringing some more in this week so we bless the Lord isn't it great don't you thank God for what he's doing amen and we have the, the best group of presenters right here, I tell you. I, Jesus said, let the little children come to me, and I think he meant it, amen? And when they were trying to figure out how we're going to get to heaven, he brought a little child and set him down in the midst of them and said, if you want to get there, you've got to be like these children. And I tell you, that meant a lot. So let's ask the Lord if we can to bless them and to bless these boxes and use them. Ray, I want to ask you to pray for us, if you will. Ask the Lord to bless this effort of Operation Christmas Child, and then when we're done, they'll be going to Children's Church, and we'll be opening the Word and looking at the Gospel today. So, Ray, when you're ready, brother. bless y'all thank y'all for bringing them up today appreciate y'all very much y'all enjoy children's church i bet it's gonna be a lot of fun today and uh, thank y'all so much genesis chapter 14 i'll encourage you here with us in the worship center to open your copy of god's word genesis chapter 14 and if you would find verse 14 i can remember a day buddy if you got a wagon like that right there for christmas you you had something going on a radio flyer i mean i didn't know they still made them uh, and they had, of course, if you remember the old days of Western Auto, they had Western Flyer, amen, probably the off-brand of Radio Flyer, I don't know, but anyhow, uh, brings back a lot of memories. If you had a wagon, you had something to keep you busy uh, and a lot to do. So Genesis chapter 14, verse 14, I want to share with you today, we talk on the subject of the Most High God. And let me just say a couple things while we're getting ready. Uh, I believe it's so important we focus our hearts on the Most High God every day, and especially in times like we're living in now. Uh, we had some guests came in before the first service and wanted to do an interview or something, and they were from French TV. I don't know if they were from Fruithurst speaking French or from Hollis Crossroad, but anyhow, French TV and had a few questions, but anyhow. And, uh, of course, I just talked with them for a second, and 
And here's the question they asked me today. They said, are you going to be talking about politics from the pulpit today? I thought that was a rather strange question, don't y'all? And I, I, t I told them, I told them the first service, I'll give you my long answer and my short answer. My long answer is no, and my short answer is no. I mean, I said, no, ma'am, we've got a lot better stuff to talk about than that. Uh, and I just explained to them, and here's what I said to them, in case this gets uh, published somewhere out there, I've learned this about journalists, they don't always print what you tell them, amen? They, this thing called editing, and this thing called, and so they, I just said to them, you know, we believe in the power of a sovereign Lord who is in charge, and we believe that we are already citizens of heaven as his children, and we're just pilgrims and strangers passing through, and this is not our home, and I said, we're just going to worship the Lord today. We're going to give him glory because we believe that his purpose will be fulfilled as we faithfully follow him. Y'all know, those are the things I said. So if anything gets published out there, that I said, otherwise, and they said, well, we, we just want to talk to some of the people. And I said, no, you're not going to do that. You know why? Because I'm your shepherd. Are y'all all right? I'm, 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 I'm going to tell you, you're not going to do that. I said, because they may not be comfortable. If you want to know what's going on, or what's happening, you can talk to me, and I don't mind taking the blame and the whatever, but don't just go up to people because people in the South, some strange French person starts coming up to you, they're probably not going to be very kind. So, I mean, but anyway, I just said, don't, don't do that. Well, they didn't do what I asked them to, did approach a few people in the parking lot. So if they did, I'm sorry. It was not what we intended, but uh, we live in a day and time we don't know what people's intentions are. Are you all all right? I really, we just don't. So we have to be very careful, but at the same time, remain faithful. So uh, I, I, I want y'all to know from my heart is that um, regardless of what's going on around us, we have to remember that there's nothing. And I told them this morning, God is not panicking. God is not wondering what's going to happen next. He's in charge, and we're going to follow him, okay? So in case you hear anything about that this week, you know, uh, you, you know that's what happens. It's kind of odd. I don't know if they're just trying to find out where all the conservatives are and everything, but you just check me down. Blood-bought, born-again conservative. Amen, because I'm grateful to God for what he's done for me. I believe Jesus is conservative. Amen. But he's also radical. You know where he's conservative? He's conservative in his theology, but he's radical in the fact of the way he gives his love. And he even told us one place in Scripture we can be liberal. It says to him to, to give, to give liberally. Amen and that he gives liberally to all those that ask of him. But when it comes to faithfulness, that cannot ever be minimized. So to God be the glory. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about El Elyon, the Most High God. Well, I tell you, there's a wonderful word for us today, and I look forward to sharing with you what he said. Genesis chapter 14, verse 14. If you're physically able, stand with me in honor and reverence of reading of God's word, okay? Genesis 14, 14. Here's what the Bible says. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. That's important right there geographically, and we'll mention that in a minute. Verse 16. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the, all, and the people. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, which is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Shedalomar, the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray your blessing be added to the reading of your word today. I pray, God, that you would just help us. God, you strengthen us, and you'd help us to keep our focus on you regardless of what's going on around us. Remind us that you are El Elyon, the Most High God. And may you guide us, and may we faithfully follow till you call us home. For in Jesus' name I humbly pray, amen and amen. Thank you. Be seated. Last week I talked to you about one of the names for God in the Old Testament from Genesis 15, and that was the name Adonai. 
And I told you, Adonai really had the meaning of ownership, that he owns us, that he's in charge, and that he's literally the God who gets involved in your business. I don't know about you, but I need God involved in my business. I need him leading and guiding every step of the way. Today we're looking at a different name, and I believe these names are so important because with all that we have happening in our world and so much time being spent listening to the media, we better take some time and get focused on the master. Amen? Because if we're not focused on the master, then the media will guide our hearts and minds and thoughts more than the master does, and that's dangerous. And can I say to you, that is a safeguard all of us, myself included, need to put in place. Now, let me give you some background, if we will, to what we were talking about in verses 14 through 20 that we just read a moment ago. If you back up a little bit in chapter 14, even to the beginning of that chapter, and be a good idea as we talk through this to keep your Bible open because you'll see some things we refer to there. But if you look in those opening verses of Genesis 14, you find that there's an evil king in Elam, and he and three other power-hungry kings had faced off against five other kings who were seeking to defend their livelihood, they were seeking to defend their countrymen, and they were seeking to defend their homeland. But two of the defending kings represented the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, which are very familiar names of Old Testament cities to you. When you hear those names, you don't think many pleasant thoughts. You don't think many pleasant things. You really begin to realize that these are two very sinful and uh, cities that uh, did not honor God. So these kings had waged war in the Valley of Siddam, and the Valley of Siddam was a very interesting valley because it was a city, excuse me, a valley that was riddled with tar pits. And as the battle escalated, the five defensive kings began to retreat. And the two kings from Sodom, as they did so, fell into these tar pits. Their people were taken captive, and all their possessions were confiscated, including a number of prisoners, and most importantly, as you will see, one of the prisoners was a man named Lot, who was Abram's nephew. So how would Abram respond to the captivity of his people, even the members of his own family? Would he just simply uh, allow them to be taken into captivity because of their own rebellion? Would he say that they were getting what they rightfully deserved? Have you ever heard people say that? Something bad happened to somebody, and some self-righteous person will say, I knew they'd get what was coming to them. That's what, that's what they get. I knew it was going to happen. Oh, they got what they deserved. Well, let me just park for a minute, and let me just remind you of what all of us deserve. All right? There's not a one person in this building on the sound of my voice that deserves to go to heaven based on your own merit. Not one person based on your own goodness or giftedness. The only way that a person gets to heaven is through the good grace of God, the mercy of God, and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody gets there on their own. So if we all got what we deserved, what would we get? Uh-huh, you got it. No, no, it's not that. So Abram did not respond in such a way. He didn't say, well, it's their own rebellion that got them there. They got what they deserved. Or maybe he might make another choice. Maybe he would make a choice to mount a courageous mission to rescue them from captivity. So based on what we read just a moment ago, I want to make some observations from Scripture today because here's my goal and here's my heartbeat today. This is what I really, really desire to do is to help you to get your focus on the Most High God, to cast your gaze toward glory, and not just what you see on the news or not just what you read on the social media, but that you would really get focused on the Most High God because, ladies and gentlemen, hear me. If there's ever been a time we need to focus on Him, it's now, and that need is only going to increase in the days ahead. That's why you need each other. That's why you need leadership. And that's why you need friends and family that love God and love you to help you not only to endure, but to remain faithful to the end. So these observations I want to make today is I believe are ones that can help us better understand what is meant when the Scripture calls God, El Elyon, 
the Most High God. The first thing I want you to notice today is that we must experience Him as the Most High God. See, in order to fully appreciate the experience that Abram had with El Elyon, we must remember some events that took place prior to Lot being taken into captivity. See, that's one thing about the Word of God. When you base your theology in the Theology literally means the study of God, theos being God, and ology meaning study of. When you really base your understanding of God, you can't just pick a verse here and pick a verse there. You must understand it all in its proper context, and that's what we're doing today. But as you look back, if you will, with your Bible open there, you'll notice in Genesis 13, 6, that we learn that the land on which Abram and Lot occupied was land that was no longer able to support them both because of their great possessions. Also, there had arisen uh, contempt between the herdsmen. And because of that, Abram did not want to uh, escalate the tensions any further, so he went to his nephew Lot, and here's what he did. He proposed to him that they separate. When they separated, Abram gave Lot the choice between which land he would choose for himself. Well, Genesis 13, verse 10 and following says these words. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, and that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it was like the garden of the Lord. Can you imagine that? That had to be beautiful. He said it was like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself. Here's where you mess up, ladies and gentlemen. That's what I tell you. Always invite God into every decision you make. Don't make decisions apart from him or void of him. Look here. He chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. That's very important. Not only did he choose it for himself, he got right up next to where the wickedness was. Now you take for a minute. Here was a man who's a nephew of Abram, a righteous man, but yet he allows himself to get into a, in, excuse me, an environment where he is lured away from God towards sin. And guess what happens? Well, he pitched his tent toward Sodom, and verse 13 says this, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. He had moved camp from the protection of God and his uncle Abram, and now he's over there where people are sinful and wicked against God. See, long before Lot became a captive, he was already a prisoner to his own selfishness. He liked to please himself. He liked to do things that made him feel good and all that kind of stuff. So in chapter 14, after he's already pitched his tent over there and he's already gotten a mess over there, guess what? Now he needs some help. <laughs> well, here's a question i got to ask. You ever had an experience where you saw impending danger coming to a friend, a family member, a co-worker, somebody you cared about, and you felt compelled that, you know what, uh, I just... I see this great difficulty coming. I don't know if they see it. Maybe they're not, not aware. I don't know. But I want to speak to them, and I want to try to help them, and I want to try to encourage them so that they don't make a terrible mistake and ruin their testimony, hurt their family, hurt their friends, or whatever it might be. I, I bet most of us have an experience where we've tried to help someone avoid destruction. I know as a pastor, I've sat, between, sat before people many times, and tried to help them avoid destructive decisions. And many times I can say thanks to the good grace of God, they were able to hear and able to make the right decisions and avoid that. But there have been times over and over where you could just plead and plead and plead. Don't go that way, the bridge is out. But they'll still keep going, and it's very heartbreaking when they refuse to hear. But see, regardless of what warnings Abram may have given Lot, the situation is dire, and God is about to raise up Abram to bring deliverance to those in captivity. I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you read the Word of God, you see over and over that God raises up people who will be faithful to do what He says, when He says, how He says, to bring deliverance to those in captivity. Amen? Well, here's what we notice when we talk about experiencing Him. The first part of experiencing Him is the Most High God is, 
is that he provides courage for the present. Uh, courage is very, very important. Notice verse 13. It says, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol, the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Can you imagine the emotion that began to grip his soul when he heard that his own flesh and blood was now a prisoner in a foreign land? Now think about what courage it was going to take. I told him in the early service I've heard a lot of people define courage. I've heard a lot of people give examples of courage and illustrations of courage. But I tell you, the greatest definition of courage I've ever heard is by the great theologian John Wayne. And John Wayne said this, Most people think that courage is the absence of fear. But John Wayne says that's not true. And I agree with John Wayne. He said courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyhow. Amen? Saddling up anyhow. I believe with all of my heart that there was some fear there was some uncertainty. There was some worry and concern that probably filled Abram's heart. But yet he had to weigh something out. He had to decide that the risk was worth the fact that he might fail. Ladies and gentlemen, that's very important. See, Abram was about to face a coalition of kings that was headed by the king of Elam. These kings had overcome the revolt of Sodom and Gomorrah. They had overcome the revolt of three other neighboring city-states. And all of these people had been paying tribute to the king of Elam for 13 years. So when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fell in the tar pits, the people retreated into the mountains in defeat, while the king of Elam took all their people and all their possessions into captivity. Now you say that's a bad day. Something went wrong. That is a terrible event. But can I tell you something? This event would probably not have been near as historically important if it were not for the words of verse 12. Those words teach us that they also took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. You see, when they took the people and took their possessions, that was bad. But when they took Lot, things got personal. Amen? Things got real personal for Abram because his brother's son was among those that was in captivity. But in spite of Lot's foolish choices, in spite of his rebellious spirit, Abram was empowered by God to bring him out of captivity. Aren't you grateful for people like that? See, this victory simply did not release Lot, but it liberated all the people liberate all their possessions that had been taken by the king of Elam and their allies. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know today, in the culture we're living in, it's going to take courage on the part of God's people to be faithful until he calls us home. It's going to take that on many of our parts, and it's going to challenge us in every area of our life. I believe with all of my heart today that we need courageous leadership. I believe we need courageous leadership in every level of our life. We need courageous leadership by our daddies in our homes. We need courageous leadership by our pastors and leaders in our churches. And we need that leadership to impact and influence the culture around us and not vice versa. We don't need the culture influencing the church. We don't need the culture invading the home. We need the Christian home and the Christian church to invade, impact, and influence the culture for the glory of God until he calls us home. Amen? We desperately need that today, and I cannot speak that enough. Not only do we need courage for the present, but Abram also talks to us about compulsion for the future. Uh, we see that in the text today because if we're not careful, here's what happens. We allow the enemy to take territory. We allow him to take resources and possessions from us without any thought of resisting his advances. Oh, he's slick. He's sly and he's smooth. Most of the time when people talk about being confronted by the devil, they think that he shows up with a red suit and a long tail and a pitchfork and smells like flames of smoke. No, that's not the way he shows up. 
The Bible says that he is transformed into an angel of light. That means he can show up looking pretty. He can show up looking smooth. He can show up saying all the right things. And if you're not careful and walking with God, he will begin to overtake your life in ways you never understood or never anticipated simply because you had took the watchman from the wall of your heart. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe today that Abram made it clear. He made it clear that no one was going to mess with his people. And today, hear me. We need leaders who will stand up for the people, but we also need people who will stand up with their leader. Amen? Now, Marty, I talked about this early. I want to talk about it again, okay? All right, you, thank you, Marty. Appreciate it. All right, now here's what we're talking about. All right, listen. In the Bible, Jesus said this. Jesus said that I am the door of the sheepfold. Now, when he said that, you say, oh, that's nice. That means he sits over by the door where the sheep are. No, it's a bigger picture than that. The shepherds understood what Jesus was talking about because Jesus was saying this. You shepherds understand because when you get your uh, sheep corralled at night that there's no door to close, so you have to literally lay down in the doorway of the sheepfold. Now, they laid there for two reasons. The first reason they laid there was to keep the sheep from getting out at night and wandering. Y'all know this, sheep are prone to wander, prone to stray. You've heard it in the songs, right? Sheep, are, they, don't, they don't have any direction, they don't make much sense. They just kind of wander out there until they get in a mess, and then they start going, eh, making all kinds of noise, right? Okay, so he gets between them and the sheep to protect them from wandering. But he also sits in the door of the sheepfold, not just to protect them from wandering, but to protect the wolf from getting in there and eating them. If it wasn't for that shepherd, the sheep would have no defense against the enemy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, hear me today. If there's ever been a time that we need that, we need that now. We need pastors who will be doors of the sheepfold, who will do their very best. You know what I've learned about sheep? Sometimes if they want to stray, they'll walk over to you while you're asleep. I understand that. But I'll tell you one thing we can do is when the wolf shows up, we can stand between the wolf and the sheep. Why? Because the thief comes not but to steal and kill and destroy. And when he does that, he can make great damage. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever been a day that we need that, we need that now. See, Abram's response was, to go get the best he had. Do you remember in Joshua chapter 6 when they organized the march around the walls of Jericho? God told Joshua to go get the men of war. Oh, that was important. Well, that's kind of what Abram did. He went and got 318 of his best. He went and got them, and he was willing to take on the responsibility to fight the battle and quickly recover all that had been stolen from them in the war. His army was 318 trained men. And when you read the scripture and you see where they took and they chased them back and they went as far as Dan, can I tell you what that means? That tells me that his 318 men drove the enemy 240 miles back. That's pretty stout, isn't it? That's pretty strong. So that's what they did. They chased them 240 miles, and even though the odds were against them, Abram was willing to do whatever it took to get back what had been taken away from them. Well, how about us? How about in our culture? What has been taken away from Bible-believing people over the past 50, 60, 70 years? Don't you think it's time that the church began to take back some things that Satan's been stripping from us? Don't you think it's time that we go redig some of the wells that the Philistines have been filling up with dirt and trash and junk? Don't you think it's time? I do. I think it's time that we take back our liberty. I think it's time we take back our song. I think it's time we take back our peace. I think it's time that we take back our shout. I think it's time we take back our conviction, our compassion, and our cities. It's time that we take back our children and our grandchildren and our school campuses. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me, hear me, hear me. It's time for the church to rise up and say, we are going to serve the Most High God, and nothing or nobody can stop us. I believe with all of my heart today that our enemy has taken over. And I want you to hear me again. This has nothing to do with an election on Tuesday night. 
This has been going on for a long time. All of my life, Satan has continually went and took away and took away and took away. It's time that the church stopped backing up every time hell shows up. Tony Evans said this, the true test of a church is when hell shows up, the church often backs up. He said, but the true test of a church is, is that when, hell, when the church shows up, hell needs to back up. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, hear me, hear me clearly. If there's ever been a time we need to make a difference in our world, it needs to be now. And we don't make a difference by, by shouting and marching and all that kind of stuff. We make a difference when we get on our face before a holy God and we cry out to Him to make a difference. Whatever happened, when has somebody said, why don't we just call on God and see what answer He has? I might need another rag on that one. That was wet. Let me tell you why. I just believe he's an awesome, sovereign, and holy God. I believe he has the answers to all of our problems. And I wonder why we're so reluctant to ask him, invite him, and follow him as he leads us. Oh, we experience him as the most high God. Courage for the present, compulsion for the future. Notice with me a second truth. Not only do we experience him, but we exalt him as the most high God. Let me tell you how we do that. You see that right there in the text today. Boy, I tell you, what a wonderful example Abram is. If we're going to exalt him as the most high God, it's going to involve two things. The first thing is an absence of pride. We live in a very prideful land. Folks are very prideful and closed. But I'm telling you, if we're going to really exalt the Most High God, there's going to have to be an absence of pride. I, I told you, I was told him earlier, I was thinking about one of my favorite verses is Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Well, I back up to verse 12. Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin. If you remember in chapter 3 of book, the book of Acts, there was a man been lame for 40 years and he told him, said, I need some money so I can go see a doctor and get well. Peter and John looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. He reached down and took him by the hand. He took him. He didn't just walk, but he jumped, he ran, he leaped. He praised God. He, he just had a Holy Ghost hoop nanny. Amen. Well, it had been real easy for that guy that said, Thank you. Appreciate it. See, y'all on down the line, I've never walked in 40 years. Now I'm walking. I'm going to get my time and money's worth. But no, right after that, Peter and John began to experience the first persecution that ever came to the church. They brought them before the Sanhedrin and said, what are you doing this for? You can't be doing this. Huh? And what power? They said, well, you know, just in, just in the name of Jesus. And standing before the Sanhedrin, Peter and John speaking, Peter speaking up. They said to them, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. <laughs> Verse 13 basically said they had a little meeting. They called them together. said, Boys, I don't know. We've threatened them. We've done everything we know to do. We can't really find anything wrong with them, but one thing's a fact. They've been with Jesus. I love that. I, what would it be if you walked out of church today and you say, you know what, I don't know, our, our preacher's not much to look at and he's not real smart, real bright and all this kind of stuff, but there's one thing I do know about that old boy is before he walks up there before us, he's been with Jesus. I'd like for you to say, you know what, an old preacher told me years ago, he said, Brent, before you ever go talk to the people about God, make sure you've talked to God about the people. Never forgot that. It's very important to me. Let me tell you why. Because it'd be easy to come up here and give you some oratory exercise. 
But what I'm looking to do is not give you a speech or an oratory exercise. I don't have a teleprompter or nothing else. What I'm trying to give to you is today is what God has taught me. And yeah, I write it down. Some people say, if you're real smart, you wouldn't need notes. Well, you ought to try. I'm going to help you out too. I'm telling you, I'm not that smart. But what I do know is this. I do know that all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray, and holy manna will be showered all around. Oh, wouldn't it be something today if every person walked out of their church house saying I don't know what's going on but one thing for sure the man of God has been with the most high God and he brought the word to us today and I'm going to live different because of it amen that's what we're after absence of pride Abram wasn't prideful but he was willing to take the risk to get back what had been taken from him then there's an awareness of his power See, El Elyon is a name for a God that's often associated with his creation, which is pretty powerful, I might add. It also reveals that he is both sovereign and owner over heaven and earth. You see, the word translated possessor is also translated the verbs possess or contain. So therefore, to possess heaven and earth is to have rightful claim to the ownership of all that there is. So what about the power of the name El Elyon in the New Testament? Now, Brent, this is Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, he didn't go away, and he never will. See, the name of the Most High God is used by fallen angels or demons when they address Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 5, verse 7, those demon-possessed legion, you remember him? He was just walked among the tombs, remember? And they, and they got those demons out of him, cast them into them swine, and had a Holy Ghost hog killing. Y'all remember that? Just drown them all. Remember that? Okay. You know what? When Legion was in the presence of Jesus, here's how he referred to Jesus. He said, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. They even recognize him. Demons know the Scriptures, and they know that the Scriptures are true when they testify of Jesus. And in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, it says this, All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That just doesn't mean that he holds everything in his hands. That means that he holds everything together. You say, I'm coming apart. El Elyon can put it back together. The world's coming apart. El Elyon can put it back together. My life's coming apart. El Elyon can put it back together. Ladies and gentlemen, he's the one that makes it all come together. God help us. It's what Elmer Towns said. I like old Elmer. He's a professor from years ago of liberty and just a great teacher of the word of God. Here's what he said. He says, when a demon recognizes the presence of Jesus Christ, he cannot help but confess his deity. What a shame that many Christians are tongue-tied when it comes to confessing Jesus Christ. Even the demons confess who he is. Well, oh, God, let the redeemed say so. Then there's an appointing of his possessions. See what he said in verse 20? Mm-mm. He said, Blessed be the God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. What Melchizedek blessed him. And he gave him a tithe of all. Do you know why... Abraham was so adamant about that because here's what he didn't want to do. He didn't want to be guilty of taking anything from anybody. He wanted to be faithful to the Most High God because he was convinced that the Most High God owned it all. Now, I want to tell you something that's very important right here, and I want you to hear me. I'm like Adrian Rogers. I'm not in the business of raising funds, but I am in the business of seeing God raise his children. The reason most people today, here, most people who profess to know Jesus, and look here, this is not a rock, this is a rope. This is to help you, not hurt you. The reason most people today will refuse to give a tithe to the Lord of their income is because they're not convinced yet that he owns it all. Now, I can't convince you of that. I can tell you, and I can try to persuade you and try to help you, but the only reason I can... The only person that can really help you with that is God the Holy Ghost living inside of you. Because you know what? He did that for me. I didn't learn that as a young person. I had to learn that as an adult. But I had to learn even as an adult. Look, Brent, you must acknowledge God owns it all or you won't, you won't enjoy the abundant life that he came to give you. Now, I know some people will say this. Well, you don't understand, preacher. You don't understand. You don't understand. And look, and you, you know, and maybe you would think so, but I do understand. 
You don't understand how shaky my job is. You don't understand how shaky the economy is. You don't understand how shaky this. Oh, yes, I do. Because let me tell you how I understand. For the past 27 years, next week, November the 14th, 1993, was my first Sunday as a pastor. St. Louis Baptist Church in good old Delta, Alabama, okay? My first Sunday as a pastor in November 14, 1993. So you fast forward 27 years. For 27 years, I have lived one Wednesday night conference away from being unemployed. <laughs> I mean, all it takes is enough people get mad, enter a motion, get a vote. I mean, I mean I'm just telling you, I, I know what it's like to trust El Elyon. Uh, for seven of those years, I lived in a pastoral. Oh, God, I was one Wednesday night conference from being unemployed and homeless. Now at least I got 30 days. <laughs> I mean, I used to, I mean, the pastor before me, you know, he told me, he said, man, I tried to move out, and they pulled the power out on me. I mean, you know, I'm just telling you, I mean, I didn't have, I had no security. I learned real quick that my safe haven is in the Lord. But I want you to hear me. If God's people, will do what God says and hear me. If we will be faithful and trust God with the tithe, then you know what he said he'd do in Malachi chapter 3? He'd fill our barns up to where we'd be looking for ways to bless others because of the faithfulness of God and the blessing, faithfulness of God's people and the blessing of God. Hear me, I'm not trying to tell you, I don't want anything from you. I don't want anything at all, at all, not one thing. But what I do want for you is for the blessing of God to be upon you and for you to learn to trust him as the one who owns everything. That's what I want. Hey, that's what Abram did. He said, I'll tell you what, El Elyon owns it all. I'm giving this back to him. And then finally, I want you to notice with me in verse 21. Not only we experience and exalt him as the most high God, we enthrone him as the most high God. There's two parts of it. One, it involves complete submission. I told me in early service too, I, first time I ever remember learning the word submission, it was not in Sunday school. It was not even in, in regular school with vocabulary, words, or none of that kind of stuff. I learned what the word submission meant by Saturday morning watching Georgia Championship Wrestling. The late, great Gordon Soley, God rest his soul. Everybody remember Gordon? If you didn't watch Georgia Championship Wrestling in the 70s and 80s, you really missed out on some um, interesting entertainment, I can say. I remember watching those guys. You know, they had all of them, Magnum T.A. and you know, Chief Wahoo McDaniel and Tommy Wildfire Rich and, you know, the Rock and Roll Express and Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo and then the Freebirds with their manager Jim Cornette with a tennis racket. Never knew why I carried around a tennis racket. Never got that. But I remember watching all these and of course my favorite was the American Dream Dusty Rose and his tag team partner Thunderbolt Patterson. They were my favorites. I mean, I, I love them, okay? <laughs> I can remember and I have to be careful with John here because he gets excited about this. But I remember Gordon Soley watching him in the... I remember, of course... The nature boy, Ric Flair. Ric Flair had a, whoo, yeah, he had a, a, a finishing move called the figure four leg lock. Y'all remember that? We used to put that on each other in my neighborhood. Now you do that to somebody in your neighborhood, and they go get a logger. And our neighborhood, we had to get tough before all the sissies took over. I'm just saying, I mean, we, we'd figure four leg lock each other, you know, and, you know, it was, it was, but you'd watch them. They'd get figure four, and they'd start beating on the mat, and they'd start hollering and pulling their hair. Y'all remember that? But finally, for the match to end, the person who had to hold on them had to say these words, I quit. And then Gordon Sully would say, well, Ric Flair won that match by submission hold, a figure four leg lock. I learned that the figure four was able to make a man quit or submit. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you in life, we know quitting is a bad word. We're not going to talk about quitting there, but I'm talking about it's time that God's people quit some things. And one of those things we need to quit is we need to quit doing it by ourselves and quit trying to figure it out ourselves and quit trying to make our own way and quit trying to be the Lord of our own life and the master of our own domain. We need to quit because here's my fear. I'd hate for God to have to put you or me in a spiritual figure four leg lock to get us our attention to where we'd quit. 
Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. When we completely submit to the Most High God, we take all of our cares, all of our worries, all of our pains, all of our anxieties and all things, and we cast them right at Him, and we know that He's the only one who can fix them. We enthrone Him. And then it involves compassionate surrender. Surrender. There's no sweet surrender. I mean, I, I woke up this morning, and I was thinking about the day, of course, and as I said, before I come to talk to you about God, I've talked to God a whole lot about you. And I said, God, what can I do today to help our people, help your people? Remind them that you're still in charge. And I began to sing. Y'all don't want me to do that today. But I began to sing out in my yard at the men mode. And I began to sing the words of O Horatio Spafford, that when peace like a river attendeth my way, the sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know what singing does for me? I don't know if it does for you, but singing sometimes, and I believe it. You know, David used to play the harp to calm Saul down. Y'all remember that? And I think about sometimes how music and stuff can be such a help and encouragement in these times. I was out here Wednesday night, and as they began to leave worship, and y'all know I love the song uh, you know, by Bethel Music called Stand in Your Love. And some people say, I can't believe you sing them Bethel songs, them Hillsong songs, them people's theology's all messed up. They may not finish well, but look, you don't sing the song for who wrote it or whatever. You sing it for the lyrics, the words that it says. And you say, well, they may not finish well. They may not. But, you know, I, read, I sing It Is Well With My Soul. Do you know Horatio Spafford didn't finish well? But we still sing his song, don't we? Why? Because the song has the ability to minister to us and help us through difficult days. I sing Stand in Your Love. I'm like, I fear doesn't stand a chance. You know, and I'm just riding along, just me and Jesus, and I'm thinking, man, if we could just remember to stand fast in His love, His truth, His grace, and His mercy, a lot of this stuff that's going on around us wouldn't affect us as much. It's all about surrender. On August the 5th, 2010, there was a group of uh, 33 miners that were trapped 2,300 feet underground in a coal mine in Chile. Y'all remember that story? I saw the movie about it. Anybody seen it? It's pretty interesting. Good stuff. But when the cave caved in, it confined them into a dark place. They were imprisoned. They had no way out. For more than two weeks, nobody even knew if they were alive. But you know what they did? They stuck together, even though they were hungry, even though they were cold, and even though they were without hope. They were helpless, and they were desperate. Time was running out. If anything was going to help them, or if they were going to receive any help at all, it had to come from somewhere above. Finally, after 17 days, the rescuers found a note taped to the drill bits where they were trying to get to the shaft. They had evidence that the miners were alive. Rescuers then drilled a larger hole, if you remember, and it provided food, it provided water, provided light, other medicines and things that they needed. The hole that provided the food, light, and water was not a hole that was able to deliver them from being entrapped, but it was a hole that gave them hope. Well, we need hope, don't we? But eventually... The rescuers, you remember, if you remember following the story or you saw the movie or whatever, they eventually were able to drill a shaft wide enough to put a two-foot-wide capsule down to let them out one by one. You remember the joy that went across that area and across the world even when all 33 were rescued alive. After being set free from the prison of the collapsed mine, one of the miners told a reporter that they all gathered together when it seemed as though hope was gone. They gathered in the pit and they called on God to rescue them. You know, when they called on him for rescue, they not only appealed to his name, but they also appealed to the character that was tied to his name. 
Maybe today you're there. Maybe you feel like, and I'll tell you, sometimes lately I'm as, I'm as transparent and honest as I know how to be. I don't walk up here on Sunday and become some super spiritual guy who has none of the problems you have, none of the challenges you have, and don't understand you. I'm not up here in some ivory tower. I, I really, I'm in this world with you. I'm living in the same stuff you're living in, dealing with the same things you're dealing with. I understand. Sometimes you know what life feels like it does? It feels like it traps you in. Sometimes you'll feel like you're trapped and you'll feel like there's no way that you can get out. Maybe it's just you feel trapped spiritually. Maybe you feel, feel trapped psychologically. Maybe you feel trapped emotionally or financially. You may be like these miners, all 33 of them, they saw no way out. Maybe you see no way out. And you may have even got to the point you're not sure if anybody cares, but I want to remind you first of all the most high God cares and I want to remind you that because of the most high God he has changed the lives of many people right here in this room I promise you there are people here that really care about you and I want you to know if you, if you look around and say I don't know I want you to know standing right here is a preacher that really cares about you I want you to know that you say well you know preachers you know y'all just uh, I don't know about y'all y'all never do what we want when we want how we want that's okay I had to get over that a long time ago you hurt my feelings, and somebody say, I needed you over here, and you was over there, and I needed this. And I tried to do everything I could, and I about ran myself crazy, and I had to realize there's no way you do that. But even when I can't be there, God can. Are you good with that? Amen? Even when I'm not, He is. But I want you to know today, it may be time for you to cry out to El Elyon, the Most High God. Now think about this. If God can use Abram to train 318 men to drive the enemy back 240 miles, then God can hear you. If God can hear the cries of 33 Chilean miners trapped 2,300 feet underground with absolutely no hope of getting out, then God can hear you. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know there is no place under this sun you can go that God cannot and will not hear you and that he is ready and willing and able to come to your rescue. Do you know what we need in this season of our life in America and across the world? We need a fresh encounter with the most high God. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word today. And I want to thank you for loving us the way you do. I want to thank you for providing for us the way you do. And I want to thank you for giving us direction the way you do. Father, right now, I am standing before a group of people that mean so much to me. But Father, I can only imagine how much they mean to you. Father, my love is imperfect. I'm a sinful man just as they are. But Father, your love is perfect love, and your word teaches that perfect love casts out fear. Father, help us to be surrendered and submitted. Help us to live lives absence of pride, but filled with humility. Help us to trust in your abundant power to lead us, guide us, and protect us. God, give us leaders who will stand for the people and give us people who will stand with their leaders. God, give us a fresh view of the Most High God. And help us to see who you are in all your splendor and all your glory. And may we never forget that we are pilgrims and strangers that this world is not our home and that we are citizens of a place called glory. The Father, until we're gathered there with you forever, give us grace, give us strength, give us a burning desire to do the work you've called us to do here. Help us to point as many weary souls to Calvary 
and help us to go from this place living differently today than we did last week. Help us not to trust what the media tells us, but let's trust what the Master tells us. And God, may we realize that by doing so, we are honoring and glorifying your holy name. Help us to be vigilant. Yes, Lord, give us a concern for the things that go on around us and the people that need you so desperately. But help us to not get so earthly-minded we become no heavenly good. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen and amen. Hey, look this way, guys. We'll for a minute or two. Um, just gather in tight here a couple of things I want to mention to you before we dismiss always remember as I told you we're in this time that's been very different in these 27 years only the last seven months has it been months where we're unable to give uh, public invitations and uh, that's 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 tough I'll just be honest that's tough because I tell you one of the greatest joys of my ministry I'll tell you I've got many joyous things but the most joyful thing I ever love seeing is when somebody crosses over from a person who was headed to eternity in hell, confesses Jesus Christ as Savior, becomes a born-again child of God, and gets a new life. And watching people over the years take those steps into the aisles and come and receive Christ as Savior, man, I tell you, you just don't get over that. But I'm grateful that the message of salvation, the work of evangelism is not confined to an invitation on Sunday morning. It's a lifestyle that we all to live. So I want to encourage you to continue sharing, but I also want to encourage you that if God has spoken to your heart today and you need something from the Lord, we're here for you. We're not going to run out and leave you. We're not scared of you and all that kind of stuff. We, we want to help you, okay? Because where you spend eternity is far more important than just what happens here. Remember I told you a few weeks ago, I'm very concerned about everybody's physical health and will do anything I can to keep you well. But I'm, I also realize that my responsibility is to be a watcher and one carer for your soul. And I'm far more in, interested in where you're going to spend eternity than just what happens between here and there, okay? So y'all just pray much for that. But if you have something you need from the Lord, whatever, please, I'll be here. We're not going anywhere. Don't feel like you're going to waste our time or you're going to be in the way. or going. No, no, no. You are the purpose of why we're here today, okay? Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, the people are why we're here. So anything you need, please don't forget that. And just continue to pray much for the week ahead. As I told you, let me remind you in case you've got your bulletin too. This Wednesday, students will meet at 6 in the cave. Next Wednesday, the 18th, we hope we're planning to resume our midweek prayer service right here in the worship center. We won't meet downstairs. There won't be a meal yet, but that's at 6 o'clock, and we're going to be we'll be announcing about children here very soon too, okay? So don't forget that. We're trying to get everything back where it needs to be. And uh, I've talked to many leaders on many different fronts, community leaders, church leaders, whatever. It's the greatest challenge of our lifetime. But i got to believe with great challenges come great fruit. And I believe somebody's told you all this here before. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but there is no uh, growth in the comfort zone. And there is no comfort in the growth zone. Lord Almighty, we must be really getting stretched out there, right? So I do believe that. So don't forget that as we move forward. Thank you for participating in Operation Christmas Child. If you do still have a few stray boxes around, you can get them, drop them off this week. Eight offices open eight to three, Monday to Thursday. So don't forget that. And I just want you to never forget that God loves you and that I love you. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen. You know, I heard somebody tell somebody that in a store the other day, and I thought. God be the glory. You know, I really thought I'd had a tremendous... Did, uh, Robbie's not there. Okay. You know, we got a new mayor in town. If y'all need that. I really thought the other day that I'd made a tremendous impact on our new mayor's life. Okay? And I can pick on Robbie because he's my bud, but uh, and God used him greatly <laughs> to um, harass me to come to heaven. But anyhow, he, uh, no, he didn't. He loved me and everybody. I know I thought about you this week, Sonia. I bet you never thought that I'd be your pastor and Robbie be your mayor. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> I thought about it. But yeah, I thought I thought I'd made a tremendous impact on, on Brother Robbie's life the other day. I really did. I saw it coming. When he gave his little speech at the courthouse after swearing in, he started to quote someone and he said, as Charles said, 
and I thought he's fixing to say Spurgeon, and I'm going to be like, man, I'm, I'm impacting old Robbie for God and for good. He's quoting Spurgeon, you know. He says, Darwin. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't say a word to him because I figured the redeemed would say so, and the redeemed did. And they were like, you know, man, Brent's going to kill you and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, Robbie, I just thought I really had an impact on you. And I thought, so I've called City Hall, okay? And uh, I called and said, any further speeches by the mayor, would you run them by us? For me? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. I, I wouldn't do that because I cannot take responsibility. I got enough for what I say. Anyhow, but anyhow, God is good. We've had a lot of fun with that. But uh, hey, uh, just know you're loved, okay? Walk out here today and say, you know what? God loves me. My preacher loves me. And there's a purpose for my life, and I'm going to live different this week because the Word of God, the Spirit of God has spoke to me. It's going to be a great week. Let's stand together. Marty, sing us out of here, my friend. Since Jesus came in.